TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Gerilyn Steele. And my next guest, I am so excited to have him. Why? Well, economic disaster was averted this week as the major political player in Washington finally agreed on a deal to raise raise the debt ceiling. But were no lessons learned after the same type of situation downgraded by the country's credit rating in 2011? Why are our elected officials able to hold negotiations over the nation's financial solvency? One voice we turn to when politics make our brains hurt is David Schultz professor. Hopefully the Hamlin University political science professor can ease our minds. He attempts to do that now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker hotline. How are you, sir? I am doing great and I hope you enjoyed a beautiful day today too. Oh, it was a beautiful day. Just perfect. I must say, sir, that we are really grateful that we have you as part uh, of of the knowledge that we need here in the great state of Minnesota. And when talking about politics, not just politics, but something as important as the debt ceiling, it is absolutely maddening for me to understand why do we keep having challenges with paying the debt ceiling, getting it done? Well, the basic, well, first off, you're right. We shouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, for reasons I'll mention in a second here. But the reason why we're having a problem with it right now, uh, or in the last, let's say, 20 years, it all goes back to something we've talked about before, just in an enormous divide that's emerged between the two parties, the polarization. But even more so, I'm going to say at this point, is that, and, I, and, and sometimes you have to call it the way it is, on the Republican side, there are extremists who are willing to hold um, the U.S. credit rating hostage to their agenda. And that's in part um, what I think was driving some of this here, is think about it, how McCarthy, to get his, Speaker McCarthy, to get his speakership for the uh, Speaker of the House, um, basically had to almost sell his soul to a, a group of very, very conservative people, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Bobbert, people like that, and they're the ones who were driving him driving him to say, um, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. You've got to get commitments on cuts. You've got to do all kinds of stuff like that. So his precarious position was due to the polarization within his party and the extremists on the Republican side. But why do we allow it to happen every year? Okay, so, so this is a great question. Okay, so if we were to go back, let's say approximately – Let's say 80 years ago, um, we never had votes on the debt ceiling. And it wasn't until in the 1930s um, that Congress passed a law that said that, that we have to have 
Congress authorize on the debt ceiling. And let me just sort of clarify a few different things here, because I think listeners are probably confused. Okay, so we have sort of two or three different concepts. You know, we we can have a debt. We can have a a deficit um, in our spending every year. That's that's one thing that we might have. And then we will have uh, what's called the national debt. That's how much money um, as a country we owe. The debt ceiling is, is related to both of those. So if we keep borrowing money, the amount of debt that we have goes up. Um, and therefore, what the debt ceiling is about is to say, what's the maximum amount of money that we can pay um, or, 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 or that we're obligated to pay? That's the debt ceiling. And it makes no sense. I mean, I mean, I mean imagine you or I said, well, I borrowed a bunch of money. I've already spent it, but I'm not. I'm not going to pay anymore. I've, I've paid enough, or something like that. But anyhow, it wasn't until the 1930s that Congress said there's got to be this thing called a debt ceiling to authorize um, how much money we can borrow to pay for our previous things that we purchased. And we basically, up until probably 20 years ago, never had fights over the debt ceiling. It got to, we got to the ceiling. We just increased it. Just increased it. No big deal. It's really the consequence of the polarization. I'm I'm one of those people, um, and there's a few others out there who say um, either the debt ceiling is unconstitutional, it violates the Fourteenth Amendment, or just just repeal the law because. If Congress has already allocated the money, if we're already told we have to spend it, of course we've got to um, pay it back or we have to pay interest on it. That's the debt ceiling. So then why do we have to have all of these challenges and problems? I am shocked at how it is handled, who we're borrowing from, I am concerned. Isn't it China where we get most of the money to borrow from? We get a lot of money from from China. Um, that's probably the most principal one. I mean, from from some of our allies, of course, like you know, like Great Britain um, and the Netherlands and so forth. But the largest chunk of our debt um, um, is purchased by by China. And this is also, if we go back to, was it like 15 years ago when we had the mortgage crash? You know, when the banks, you know, kind of crashed back then. Um, a lot of the secondary mortgage market, in terms of holding of the mortgage, is also China. And and so, what, and I don't want to get involved in, in China bashing whatsoever. You know, but 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 yes, um, China holds an incredible amount um, of U.S. debt. So we're really in this together. You know, we some people believe it. that China is just, you know, it's our nemesis. At the same time, we're brothers and sisters at this point. We are, because think of it also. We're, they're also um, one of our, not our biggest, but one of our biggest trading partners. I mean, we're, we're, as consumers, hugely indebted to them for most of the clothing that we wear, a lot of the electronics, for anybody who's probably has a, um, a laptop, uh, many cell phones, et cetera, et cetera, uh, are from China. But in turn... And so, so we're hugely dependent upon them for consumer goods, but they're also hugely dependent upon us. And the reason why that's important to think about here is, as, as you said it re- really well, uh, brother, sister, 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 I'm not sure what the right, right description is, but there ought to be more recognition of the interdependence that we have as two countries and ways of figuring out, given that interdependence economically, how can we work together? But instead, We've, we've turned what ought to be an interdependent relationship into an adversarial relationship. Yes, yes. That's dangerous for us. 
That is truly is dangerous, dangerous for the United States. So here we are yeah. looking at, once again, having to borrow money to pay our debt. We know that this is coming every year. Why are we not prepared for that? Or are we prepared and we just don't know what's really happening to the money? Well, we're, I think the answer is yes and yes to both of what you're asking here, is that there there is a problem. You know, we keep spending more money um, than we take in. Now, we could talk about saying maybe we should increase taxes. Maybe we could talk about cutting spending. Maybe we should probably do a little bit of both or something like that. But the national debt keeps going up because we keep spending more than we take in. In short term, maybe that's okay. Maybe during the pandemic, which did, which did inflate, you know, the, um, um, our, our national debt. You know, we borrowed a lot of money because we had to get the country through, you know, a pretty serious pandemic. But, right. but you just, but like in the same way that an average household, you just can't keep spending more than you take in. At some point, you, we need to think about, think about how do we, you know, get our finances back into line. Um, again, emergencies, understand all of us have had to borrow in an emergency when something happens or something like that. But there's a longer term structural problem here regarding, again, um, how much we spend as, as, as a government versus how much we take in. And with it, of course, who do we tax, who do we don't tax and so forth. I did a small piece about two months ago just to sort of put something into perspective here. Um, um, the 10 richest 10 richest Americans are worth a total of $1 trillion. That's right. Yeah. The bottom, the bottom 50% of the American population doesn't even have $1 trillion. Um, So, but these are individuals such as like, you know, the Jeff Bezos and stuff like that. They hardly pay anything in taxes. Mm -hmm. Right. right. So, So we can have a great conversation about saying, maybe we should be taxing more. Maybe we should also be spending less. Maybe we should be figuring out how to live within our means. Maybe we should be figuring out to say that, okay, we know that um, a rainy day is going to come again in a future point. How do we figure out and plan for that? So that's why when you asked those two questions before, um, we, we, we both uh, are as a society, we're not planning well, you know, for our spending. And, and we're not thinking about, um, how, you know, how do we, we think for the future in terms of, you know, expenses that are going to come down the line. Well, how do we plan is automatically what comes to my mind is leadership. Whomever is in power here in the great United States, that's where we're going to find out exactly who we are. Because many of these leaders, some of them are very capable of leading well, mm-hmm. making sure that all Americans get some piece of, of the rock, right? Little, right it could be right. a little piece or a big piece, but they get a piece. Today, we're not seeing that. So many are complaining and saying, why are we not doing solar more? Why aren't we doing this more? Why aren't I getting a bigger piece of this when so-and-so is getting a, a bigger piece and that person has a gigantic piece already? We can talk about this over and over and over again, yet we constantly get to the point of the debt ceiling. And I just don't understand why it's necessary. And by the way, can you tell us how Denmark, which is the only other country, that has a debt ceiling. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. How do they do it? Do they do the process the same way we do? Um, they have far more political agreement um, on, on basics than, than we do. And, 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 yes, they have a different process in terms of um, how they automatically approve of, of raising their debt ceiling and so forth like that. So it's a very different process, but it's not like ours where we have to do 
um, essentially partisan votes every so often to raise the debt ceiling. I would also point out and say the fact that that Denmark does not have the same problem that we do in terms of consistently um, um, spending more money than they take in. Right. We had a debt ceiling crisis in 2011. And I'm just curious to know if you could share with us what that truly meant to the United States when it came to our bills, what we needed to pay, how we needed to pay it. Well, a couple of things is that we, we got right on the brink. But what happened, two different things. One is that one credit agency downgraded us um, in terms of our credit rating. For anybody who's ever looked at their credit score, it's kind of like sort of the same idea. The most important thing that the United States has is its credit score. The dollar is the is the international currency in which everything, anywhere from from oil to to um, consumer goods, that is the basic currency of the world, and that's part of the United States strength. You start to downgrade, you start to question um, um, the the solvency of the dollar. You dramatically weaken the United States. Now, let's say had we actually um, um, not raised the debt ceiling and ran out of money, essentially defaulted at that point. I mean, the United States would lack authorization to spend money. The most immediate consequences would have been, as I proverbially say, grandma doesn't get her Social Security check. Um, um, Many of the most basic functions in our society um, would would grind to a halt because what? There would not be money to pay um, um, for those debts. And what's important to think about here is is that Congress has already passed an appropriation bill. It has said, we're going to spend money on Social Security. We're going to spend money on Medicare, Medicaid. why we have the debt ceiling makes no sense because Congress has already said we're going to spend the money and to refuse to uh, to raise the debt ceiling is essentially saying, yeah, we decided to spend the money. We're obligated to do it, but we're just not going to do it. Uh, again, when you're expressing a confusion, your confusion is well placed because the way we do it just does not make sense under the current structure. And why is that? Why do we? Why do others get to do that to us as a country? Boy, that's that, that becomes like the million dollar question here again. Part of it becomes at this point a lot of posturing. I mean, I knew I was positive we were going to eventually reach an agreement on the debt ceiling, but basically we had to have um, Biden um, posture. We had to have McCarthy's posture. They had to play to um, the wings of their party to make it seem like I'm out there fighting. I'm doing the best job I can. Um, I'm going to make sure that the other side doesn't get away with something. So a lot of it was just posturing. But because of, again, the polarization that we have and the fringes, you know, that we have developed in American politics, those fringes oftentimes get to drive the center of American politics. Yeah, so that's a real problem. <laughs> so the 1970s before that, yeah, before the 1970s, we didn't have any debt ceiling crises, correct? Correct. Didn't it begin yeah, had- in like 90 something? 90-something was the first time because up until then, it was just automatic um, in terms of approving it. And even, again, trying not to sound partisan, I mean, the debt ceiling was raised, what, two or three times, I think, by the Republicans when Trump was president. I'm forgetting the exact number of times there, you know, but but uh, it's it's. We've we've never had this problem until until like let's say the 21st century when we had to raise it. It was just a non-controversial vote. It wasn't even really covered in the media. I mean, it was that's how non-controversial it was. Again, it is a product of 
of the the polarization um, that we really have in our society now. And it's the as I tell people, it's the transformation of American politics where we used to live in a bell curve society. Most voters were in the center. Most votes were in the center. Everybody agreed. We now live in a bimodal world where there are fewer centrists and more people on the extremes, and the extremes get to drive, unfortunately, American politics. So the crises of debt ceiling that just happened for us in 2023 means that if we don't make sure that it is done, then all of us will suffer. All of us will suffer in some way financially. So what do we have to do to change that? Can we cancel the debt ceiling and just make sure. sure that the United States can will will absolutely pay their bills no matter what? Yep. Yeah. I mean, think about what the bargain was. It was struck. It's basically said we're going to suspend the debt ceiling for two years. What would have been the better piece of legislation is just suspend the debt ceiling permanently. That's it. That's it. That's all we have to do. We could pass a law tomorrow that says there is no more authorization required for increasing the debt ceiling. Then it would put the focus on where we should have the focus. We can have a great discussion at that point regarding what? How much are we spending? Um, how much are we taxing? What program should we be funding? Things like that. That's where the focus should be. But we're using the debt ceiling uh, or some people are using the debt ceiling as a hostage for that. But yeah, literally, I was... I would have been jumping up and down if the negotiation had said permanently we're getting rid of the debt ceiling requirement or requirement to vote to vote to um, um, increase the debt ceiling um, at any time. Congress could do that. Can we switch it very quickly? Can we literally say if everyone agrees, if the Congress agrees, and they say, "Okay, no more of this debt ceiling mess. Let's get rid of it." Is it possible to get rid of it for? Everyone, especially since this Congress particularly is one of the richest Congress we've ever had. Yeah, you could have done it. Okay, where you could have really have done it is last year. Last year, yeah, last year when the Democrats still controlled the House, still controlled the Senate, um, they could have done a vote back then um, through through what's called a reconciliation bill, which which is not subject to a filibuster. Um, the Democrats back, back then could have just said, we are getting rid of the debt ceiling. It could be done anytime you can muster you know, the requisite majorities in the House and the Senate and the president's sign. All the stuff we learned in high school. How does a bill become a law? Um, two houses of Congress agree that president signs. That's all it would take to get rid of the debt ceiling. I think every one of us needs a new civic class to take because we've all forgotten. We've all let it go and we have got to stop letting it go. We have got to fight. That's what I say. It has been a pleasure always to talk with you, David Schultz, professor um, of the political science at Hamlin University. You are a remarkable man and we are grateful to have you. So thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure and thank you and thank you to the audience. All right, sir. You take care. Right. Bye. My goodness, I'm trying to, to, to smile, but as we take a break, I'll be able to exhale. We'll be back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all、well、qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like. We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through. You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. It is now 8 30 here at WCCO. Welcome back. Let's make that 8 31. As we talked and heard from、uh, Professor Schultz, It, um, all of a sudden, my blood pressure felt like it was rising <laughs> because as we keep talking about it, and I know that it has been used all along,、um, but we are really having challenges. It almost feels as though if our Congress does not come together to make this happen every time it's due, I just don't know what we're going to do. It seems almost impossible. And I'm just curious to know, Jonathan, what you already know about the debt ceiling.、Um, And, and you, you may ask I'll, the question. I'll say, I'll say this it ain't much. Yeah.、It's, well, maybe we need to know. Maybe that's what we're missing. You know, I did some reading on this, but did I do enough? No, absolutely not. It's so important that it has to not only look through the lens that affects everyone, but also looks through the lens that affects each one of us. Because if we look at it from that perspective, maybe we will change. Maybe we will say, hey, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we can come together and help the United States Congress to say, let us help you make these decisions. I don't know what it is, but it's so frustrating. We go through this every time. Yeah, and every I, think time. The, I think the big thing with this is that I think you asked some good questions in talking about who is taking on our debt, who is paying for our debt. Um, who is, you know, where does this all, where does the money all go to, and who is taking up for us to try to pay for it all? And that's when it gets again. They, there's a phrase out there called sticky wickets. You get a lot of sticky wickets with this, you know, when you start talking about macro level economics and who pays who and who owes who what, and it, it makes my head spin. You know, I found a little piece of information about debt held by the public, and it says economists generally view held by the public is as the most meaningful measure of debt because it reflects the amount that the Treasury has borrowed from outside lenders through financial markets to support government activities. At high levels, the DHBP can crowd out private investments in the economy, make it more difficult to respond to economic crises, and increase volatility within the economy. As of the end of December 2022, this DHBP was $25.5 trillion, or we can just call it 98% of GDP. Frightening. That is absolutely 
frightening. And then it goes on to say that the Federal Reserve, which purchases and sells Treasury securities as a means to influence federal interest rates and the nation's money supply, is the largest holder of such debt. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Nope. Okay. <laughs> That's a nope on my again. It's head spinning make me right cry. now. Just just yeah. out of whack. Yeah, and you know, I and I don't handle money well. I'm not that girl that really pays attention. I used to be. I used to be the one that would follow all the markets and all of that. I need to get back to it and really understand, try to understand exactly what is happening. We've run out of time on this conversation. It has been a pleasure. Coming up next, of course, will be um um, my guest, and I am so looking forward to having her join us. Her name is Lee Finky. You know that name. Ooh, just wait. We're going to have a ball. Welcome back, everyone. Our next guest, I have been so excited to interview her. Why? Because last November in 2022, she actually reached her goal. And this is an important goal, not just for her and her family that love her so much and her friends, but also for all of us, every woman that is under our voice right now. This is so exciting. So let me start by saying this. First of all, her name is Lee Finky. She's always fought to change the world for the better. She's a divorced mother of two. Do I have that correctly? That's correct. <laughs> yes. Growing up in western suburbs of Minneapolis, Finky was always interested in politics, but never planned to be a political candidate herself. Well, as I told you in November last year, her first bid for public office, and she won it. She became the first transgender legislator appointed to the Minnesota House of Representatives after winning 81% of the vote in her district. So we're going to start out, Lee, first of all, by saying welcome to WCCO. So happy to have you tonight. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to be here. I want to start out by asking, what is it like to be the first um, it's very exciting. I was very grateful and honored to be elected to represent my community, both in my district, but also as, as the first trans person elected. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of knowing that you will have a lot of eyes on you and that what you're doing will be seen not just by the people around you, but by everyone in the country, which has really turned out to be true. Yeah, and it's wonderful. What has challenged you the, month, the, the most when it comes to people getting to know you, approaching you? I mean, I read about the USA Today's Women of the Year. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was an incredible honor um, and one that I did not expect. Um, but it was, it was incredibly honored to be, I was incredibly honored to be among the women that they chose all around the country. And, you know, that is a great example of the, of both the, celebration of my presence in the legislature, but also the difficulty. A lot of opposition, a lot of people were angry. I heard a lot about it. I know the USA Today heard a lot about it. They had to release a statement, um, but they stood by that, of course, and, and it was a tremendous um, moment to be put into, you know, a class of political women that I've, you know, is a dream. It's really a dream to be there. It really is. Congratulations again on that. I'm curious to know, you are you are a no-looking-back kind of woman, okay? Let's just put it that way, especially a legislator. Um, and I'm just wondering, 
Is that still working for you? You know, you came in, you busted in, and everyone has paid attention to it. This next year, this year, has it felt the same way? And are you at all worried about the changes that are happening so quickly in our country? Well, I'm very worried about the changes that are happening all over the country. It's a very difficult time for the trans community nationally. Um, There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. And it's founded in real concern. Um, We all are worried. Uh, But I am, I I like the way that you put that. I am a no-looking-back woman, right? we got to move forward. We have to get work done. We need to identify who needs help around us and then find solutions to bring those people help that they need. And when we lose, we move forward. And when we win, we move forward. These are lifelong fights for justice and equity. And and we just got to keep going forward every day. You know, we have organizations, nonprofits even here in this great state of Minnesota that really support exactly what you've been doing. Um, And they say, okay, we want more women, more women. And I ask the question, are we looking at all the women we should be looking at? Are we reaching out to say, you can do this? We will support you in this, whether you are transgender or not. We will support you in that. Do you see there are more women coming together, starting nonprofits or starting finding ways to start to find places, placements for those who would say, no, I'm not going to do that. But now they're looking at all the women that are in our state legislature as well as our national legislature, right? And and if that's happening, are we doing enough to entice them to come on board? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear all the time from people um, in Minnesota and out of Minnesota who are inspired by the work I'm doing, the work of other trans lawmakers. And, you know, we're not just here representing our own communities. Many, many women, women of color, uh, women who are in circumstances that before they may have just thought there's no real way for me to do this. Um, and they're doing it and they're finding ways to do it. They're getting loans and starting businesses. They're running for office. They're starting nonprofits that they see, you know, individuals know what their communities need. And we are finding um, those people all over the place. It's, a, it's an incredible time for women and LGBTQ people in America in terms of motivation to make change and change that we haven't seen before. And that's what we need more of, right? You know, we hear uh, many years ago, we used to hear people say, hey, there are trans childrens out here and they're thriving. Do you believe that they are thriving? Because I hear stories that break my heart. I mean, there are many heartbreaking stories uh, in the trans community all over the the country. We are seeing bans on gender-affirming care. Um, More than a dozen states, Florida and Texas, are just about to sign their bans. It's going to continue. And, and, you know, young people are very concerned. Parents are very scared. Um, Those states are doing real harm, lasting damage to our community uh, that we will need to spend decades on doing. Um, But that said, being a trans person, you know, I know that our community is thriving and our community will persist. It's what we do. It's what we've always done. There have always been trans people. There have always been trans children who grow into trans adults. We are not erasable. And even though it's difficult sometimes, and I know some families right now are facing excruciatingly difficult times, we are going to thrive. 
you have to thrive, and we have to support you in that. Um, I'm curious, a year ago, you talked about um, you're trying to build a future and that you commit your lives to that work. You, you, you commit your life to that work, and that can't be easy. Has it been difficult to manage not only uh, making sure that the, the work is being done and committing your life to that, but also has it been difficult to manage your history, you know, the writing, your, your actual history? Is someone writing that down for you so that you can go back and, and revisit exactly all that you've done, because that's a real challenge. So many people say, I want to write my story, but they start too late. Have you started? I've, I have started. I mean, I do have a little a legislative blog that I'm not keeping as much as I would like, but I am doing, um, and I am a writer, and I come from media and journalism. I've written books. I, right, filmmaker. I greatly. I care greatly about the the recording of our stories and the sharing of our history. It's extremely important to me. Um, and I'm doing my best. It is hard because there is so much to do. Um, and I, you know, I, I tend to lean into the work um, and it can be hard to sit back and do the recording, but I'm, I'm doing my best and I will take this as a um, affirmation of the importance of that work and, and continue doing so. Yes, and congratulations on all of that. And really congratulations you. on you staying on top of that. Another question, um, last year that you talked about when you won, um, you said the world can't tell you who you are. Yet the world keeps trying, doesn't it? <laughs> it just wants to, def- yeah, it, it wants to define every woman, whether it's LGBTQ plus community or not. They want to define all of us and tell us what we are to do with our bodies what we are to do with our bodies. Where do you stand on that in 2023? I mean, we, we are seeing um, this movement that is anti-trans. Uh, it's an extension of the movement that is anti-abortion. And it is um, bolstering this idea of women and queer people as something that can be easily defined by biological traits or whatever sort of game they want to play in terms of who is and is not what. And it's always the same people making the same arguments against different versions of our communities. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's very frustrating to continually be told you are not who you are. Mm -hmm. And by trying to do it to trans women, they're really hurting all women. Just like you said, every time we hear a new story about how a woman in a bathroom who is not trans was had the police called on her because she wasn't fitting normal gender stereotypes right and people Mm -hmm. thought that she was trans and you know we just see this over and over again it happens all the time to women of color as well who are just sort of put into a circle of not the right version of woman and then they get attacked uh it's just it's a terrible history that we have and I can't wait to see those people defeated at the the ballot over and over again like we did last year. We have to do it. We absolutely have to do it. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you're joining us tonight, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep strong. Stay strong. If you ever want to reach out to me here at WCCO Radio, you can do so. I'll sing to you and see if I can calm you down. I'll try my best to encourage you in any way that I can. But just know that that I am so happy that you are a part of our legislature and that you are fighting. You are fighting to make the right difference. So take care of yourself, Lee, and I do hope that I can have you come on again in 2024. 
My pleasure. I can't wait to do it. And I look forward to that song. <laughs> you got it. Good night. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, as we wrap up, there is one thing I want to talk about. As you may know, Pride Month is happening right now. In Madison, Wisconsin, something really special happened, and I was very surprised at that. But then I found out it's happened before. Take a listen. It says, a gay pride flag rose over the Wisconsin Capitol on Thursday in a sign of support for the LGBTQ plus community as it weathers heightened attacks from conservatives across the country. Democratic Governor Tony Evers ordered the flag raised during a noon ceremony as dozens of spectators looked on. The flag will fly over the Capitol throughout the month of June in recognition of Pride Month below the U.S. and the Wisconsin state flag. Can you imagine that? It's a beautiful thing to see, the United States flag, the Wisconsin state flag, and the LGBTQ community's flag, the pride flag. The Village People's YMCA and ABBA's Dancing Queen played from speakers before the ceremony began. Spectators were decked in T-shirts that read, Be Kind or You Are Loved. The governor told the crowd he was jazzed as hell. Yeah, he said that. He acknowledged the LGBTQ plus community is under attack and conservative rhetoric about the community has emboldened hate. Raising the flag sends a message to everyone who wants to belong and find a home, he said. You belong here. You are welcome here, Evers said to applause, adding a moment later, it's a signal that I will always stand with LGBTQ Wisconsinites, including our trans and gender non-conforming kids, and will fight to protect them with every tool and every power that I have. This is the governor talking. Evers has ordered a rainbow pride flag raised over the Capitol every June since he took office in 2019. Now, last year, he ordered the Progress Pride flag raised in lieu of the rainbow flag. The Progress Pride flag is a variation of the rainbow flag with additional stripes and a chevron pattern that represent LGBTQ individuals of color, transgender individuals, and those living with or who have died of HIV and AIDS according to Evers' office, of course. He chose to raise the progress flag again this year. Now, Evers' decision to raise the flag over the Capitol has been a flashpoint of contention in Wisconsin, a battleground state where Republicans control the legislature and a Democrat controls the governor's office. Conservators blasted the movie in 2019 with GOP lawmakers calling it divisive and accusing Evers of advancing a political cause. Oh, goodness, don't we hear that all the time? The order to raise the flag comes with even more baggage this year as Republicans across the country work to curtail LGBTQ plus community members' rights. Almost 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills have been introduced in state legislators this year, and at least 18 states have enacted laws restricting or banning gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Now, just saying all of these things really make me feel good. I have family members that are part of this community. I stand by them strong and long. 
And even though you may not agree with who each of these people are, they are who they are. You cannot take away who they are from them. They get to define who they are within the LGBTQ plus community. They get to do that. And hopefully we will join on as well. We have a whole month to talk about pride. We have a whole month to try to bring clarity, to maybe convince a family member or a neighbor, hey, it's okay. They are being who they are. So as I wrap this up, we all know the bottom line is that we're very clear on it. We know what this is, and we have to fight back. And here in Minnesota, with our great governor, we have been fighting too. Pay attention. We'll be back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh. 